Before, what I was doing was always just making enough, always just making enough to cover the bills or always just making enough just for payroll, forgetting about myself and needing to pay myself well. I put myself last, always. You're listening to the Redefining Wealth podcast with Patrice Washington. In today's episode, I sit down with entrepreneur and attorney, Rachel Rogers. She says that we should all be millionaires. Hey there, this is Patrice Washington from patricewashington.com, where we chase purpose, not money. Welcome back to another episode of Redefining Wealth. And if you're brand new, here's what you need to know. This is a community that believes that wealth is so much more than just money and material possessions. We believe in the 12th century definition of wealth, which is the condition of well-being. And so every week, We focus on well-being in six pillars, and these are the areas of life that impact our finances, even when we're not thinking about it. If you need to get caught up, and I suggest you do, head to patricewashington.com forward slash start here. Again, the pillars can be broken down for you at patricewashington.com forward slash start here. Before we dive into this week's episode, it's brought to you by our Redefining Wealth private Facebook community. Yes, we have a community of purpose chasers from all over the globe. I don't believe that greatness can be created in isolation. You need people and you need like-hearted, not just like-minded folks around you. So join our free Facebook community at IamAPurposeChaser.com. You'll get to meet purpose chasers who are near you. Yes, in your own country, wherever you are. You can suggest show topics and guests and even get early access to upcoming events and programs. Purpose chasers always know first. So join us at I am a purposechaser.com. So I'm so excited to get back into this series around thoughtful money. How do we intentionally have conversations and how are we reprogramming our minds for success? And I am really excited for you to hear this conversation with Rachel Rogers. She's a woman of color, a mother of four, and a seven-figure business owner in that order. Rachel started her career working on the Hill with nonprofits, federal judges, and Hillary Clinton. When she realized that changing the world is easier when you have some cash in your bank account, she decided to build a million-dollar business and then teach other women how to do the same. Rachel is the creator of the Hello 7 podcast and founder of We Should All Be Millionaires, The Club. Her book of the same title, We Should All Be Millionaires, drops May 4th, 2021, and she's here to share some of her no BS business and life advice and talk a bit about the book. And I guarantee you, you will take away some nuggets and have some fun in this episode. So without further ado, here is Rachel Rogers. Welcome to the Redefining Wealth Podcast, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Have you ever had someone bogard your DMs and say, I am on your book launch team? Like, <laughs> you will come on my podcast and we will talk about your book because that's kind of how we got here. <laughs> and I, I'm not gonna lie. I like that strategy. <laughs> It works. 
worked. It worked. I was like, um, you don't really know me. I think we may know people in common. You don't really know me, but I like what you're doing. And so I want my audience to hear about it and send me your book because we're going to talk about it. And so I'm so excited to have you. After a day of interviews and a last interview that was like, "Mm, I don't know about that. Um, I was looking (laughs) forward. (laughs) I was really looking forward to chatting with you. And so let me go back to the first time that I even knew who Rachel Rogers was. It was a summer day in 2020 during quarantine (laughs) life. (laughs) When one DM after another, one text message people sending links, people sharing things in a Facebook group, like, have you guys seen this lady? And it was your viral video from last summer. But besides that, once I started to follow you, I was just intrigued by your energy, by your spirit, by your enthusiasm, by your, your, I don't give a damn, I'm gonna tell you what I feel like (laughs) telling you today. I was like, when I grow up, Rachel Rogers. Yeah. When I grow up, Rachel Rogers, that energy. And so I just love what I've what I've seen or experienced of you over the last year. Is that how a lot of people have been introduced to you in the last year or so? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I had like, I don't know. I mean, I, I had a big audience last year, but not as big as I have now. The audience has tripled in size, I want to say, since that video. And I mean, who knew? That was definitely not the intention. I was just mad. I was just mad and had to let the people know. And it was just that raw, angry energy and emotional energy is what it was. And I thought I was sharing a video with some fr- like my Facebook friends. Yeah. Other, other entrepreneurs. And then it turned into a whole thing. And I was like, wow, I might have put on a bra. I might have took my <laughs> twists out. <laughs> I might have put on a little lip gloss or something. <laughs> but isn't that how it happens, Rachel? It's it's the things that are that we least expect sometimes. It's it's not that, but what it was your raw truth. It was that's the okay. reality. It was that. And that's the thing that prevents a lot of us from moving forward, from making progress. It's not about a viral video, but it is about owning your truth and being unapologetic about it. And that's what I saw. For sure. And, you know, and the truth is in that moment, I couldn't have put on lip gloss or got cute because I didn't give a damn about (laughs) any of that in that moment. I just, I needed to get it out. And it's so funny because I, it was a Saturday And I'm just hanging out at home, trying to enjoy the nice weather, trying to hang out with my kids. And it was just nagging me all morning. And I was like, you know what? You're going to have to go share this truth and just get it out so that you can go back to like relaxing and enjoying your day. Because I was just, I was enraged and uh, very emotional about George Floyd's murder and the response that I saw and in my colleagues and people that I felt like were, you know, people that were friends of mine. And I'm just like, do y'all really think this is acceptable? Yeah, (laughs) You know, like you think this is this is what you do. Let me tell you something. Yeah. Same thing happened for me. My audience doubled um, was not the intention, was not the expectation. But I put out a video called Dear White Friend. Mm -hmm. And it was to share how I was feeling at the silence and at the confusion between um, (laughs) anti-racism 
<laughs> and um, I'm not a race. Listen, <laughs> your Listen. silence is deafening. Yeah, and I'm annoyed. And I thought I was putting out a video for about seven people in particular. I was like, they gonna scroll <laughs> and see it. It was it was six or seven. And then it ended up being millions of viewers, right? And and hopefully created some change. But what we're here to talk about today is, is your new book. Is this your first book? This is my first book. Yes. Yes. And it's, we should all be millionaires. Mm-hmm. Who's we? <laughs> Us, you, me, and those listening, people from marginalized and oppressed communities. And that includes everybody from women to trans women to members of the queer community, Black people, all people of color, right? We live in this very, I mean, we live in a world that is rooted in white supremacy. And that that has resulted in a serious economic challenges for literally every other community. And so I really want to just create a handbook like this is how I I'm not a skinny blonde yoga teacher <laughs> telling you how you can be successful. Right. And like n- no shade to skinny blonde yoga teachers. Like I'm sure y'all are amazing too, but y'all aren't the only ones who are amazing. And I wanted to just showcase, I wanted people to know my story and I wanted people to know how to make this happen for themselves, how to have, Wealth. And I think building wealth is economical. It's political. It's not just about, oh, I want nice shoes. Listen, I like nice shoes and I want to fly first class. Like, let's be 100% Mm -hmm. clear about that. But I also want Black people to have uh, generational wealth, Mm -hmm. which is not something that is true for the majority of us right now. I also want us to be represented in both houses of Congress. Right. And I think. I think it starts with building wealth. Like if we have wealth, then we can contribute to the causes that we care about. We can build institutions and businesses and organizations and contribute to politicians who will care about our interests. So I think it's all very much connected. And I trust me, I get so much shade because people are like, who cares about being a millionaire? And it feels very materialistic. And I'm just like, okay, cool. Like if it feels that way for you, then... Maybe this message isn't for you, but I think it's for a lot of people who see that it's not just about the money. Yes. It's about what the money can do for our communities. Period. Period. And that's why we teach here. Redefining Wealth is a podcast that a lot of people stumbled into and they really thought it was going to be about budgets and credit reports. (laughs) And then they got here. Surprise. (laughs) Now you're stuck binging, right? Because wealth is so much more than money and material possessions. Mm -hmm. The original definition of wealth that we teach here is it's the condition of well-being and that well-being. Yeah, girl, that well-being is not even just about you. It's for your community. It's for the generations to come after you. It's so much bigger than to your point. It's funny. The more money I've made, the less I've even cared about a lot of things. Like I have so funny. (laughs) Yeah, I have nice things. Don't get me wrong. I'm not living like a pauper. But I'm not consumed by them because I understand that the money that I create 
the money that I deserve for, you know, the value I add to others in the marketplace can go so much further than adding another purse to my closet. My closet Mm -hmm. don't want another purse. Not right now. I'm just, I'm just not really into that, but I am into the causes and the issues that break my heart. The things really matter to me. And I cannot do those things when I'm not financially stable. It is what it is. I can't. I I can't help a family take care of their bills if I can't pay my own light bill. For real. I know. It's like what was exciting to me about this Christmas was like I bought a family who couldn't afford it a Christmas tree. And I was like, this is the highlight of my holiday. Like, I just was ready to lose my mind over it. Just felt it was so meaningful to me, like buying them a Christmas tree, buying gifts for families who needed it and and just finding other ways to contribute to the world in a big way. And I think the truth is, is that once you get financially free and you have economic well-being, you stop like you, you, I feel like you almost need to get it out of your system. All those things that you ever wanted that you could never afford that sort of let you know that you've arrived at a certain place. There's something about that. Like you buy the nice house or you get the nice car or you get the nice shoes or you fly first class. And then you do that for a little while. And then you don't give a crap about any of that anymore. And then you're like, okay, what's behind it, you know, and what actually really matters. And so, you know, like for me, it was like, I, I wanted to have a Mercedes. That was so exciting to me to get a Mercedes SUV a few years ago. And now I'm like, let's trade it in and get a pickup truck because we have a ranch. And I'm like, I want to be in the dirt. <laughs> and like, I, I got I got all kinds of chores to do. I need a truck. Go pick up hay. I'm picking up hay in my Mercedes SUV looking like an amateur. <laughs> now I'm like, who cares? I'm like, I need something with a long bed that I could get all the hay for my horses. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. Okay. So Rachel, let's go back though, because before you could have these wealthy habits and wealthy thoughts, as you put it in the book, you grew up having broke ass thoughts. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> like like many of us. And the truth is our results are not really going to change until our thoughts do. And many mm-hmm. of us are just conditioned to believe certain things about money, wealth, success, material possessions, whatever. What is the backstory of Rachel Rogers? How did you actually grow up And what was your relationship to money? Yes. I'm going to answer that. But one of the things I want to share is this is why it was so important to me to be on the cover of the book. And I noticed that a lot of people who write books, especially Black women writing books, they're not on the cover. And I'm like, what the hell? I want to see you and your Afro on the cover showing us that like we can be authors, we can be wealthy, we can be successful businesswomen, right? I have to tell you. So the reason I'm on the cover of my book is because my first book, I thought I was going to go through a traditional publisher, like a small publishing house, but I had already mocked up the book cover. I needed to do that for my own vision, right? To inspire me to actually write the interior of the book. And when I was talking to them, they were like, well, we would definitely go with the book cover that you weren't on. This is in 2012. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why? And they're like, right. you'll sell more books if if people don't essentially know that you're black. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, no, uh-uh. I've done so much work over the last 27, 28 years, however long it was to be good with me 
Yeah. And it's important for me as the mother of a little brown girl for her to see my face on any and everything. So I went from not being able to look in the mirror without cringing as a little kid growing up oh my to being like, I'm going to put my face on any and everything. You're going to see it. Yes, you're going to see my face. <laughs> Stickers, here's your notebook. <laughs> Some video. I'm like, oh, Patrice really putting her face on the show, do. And that's exactly. why it's important because when you see my face, you can see your face. And that's what Yes. Yes. Exactly it. That's exactly it. Because otherwise, then we think we can't do it, right? If every person who writes a book or everybody talking about wealth or everybody who's in whatever Forbes list or whatever the heck it is, is always a white guy or a white woman or whatever. It's a typical sort of like there's a standard and I clearly don't fit that standard. So there's no space for even me to dream, you know? So that's why I I agree with you. It was incredibly important to me. I'm like, then they should not buy it. If they have a problem with learning about how to be a millionaire from a black woman, then don't buy my book. Bye. The steps are the steps. (laughs) Hello. There's plenty of other books written by white guys that you can go and follow. But if you want to identify with the journey that I've had and want to hear from somebody who has a different perspective, because here's what every study shows. Every single study that is done on diversity and equity and inclusion shows that large companies, when they have people of color in their leadership, when there is diversity in their leadership, when there is diversity on their teams, they make more money. They make large amounts of additional money. They make so much more money than companies that don't have that. So it's just like, why then are we only having like all of these stupid lists with only white guys as if nobody else is building successful companies? I'm like, this is garbage. (laughs) And y'all, y'all, first of all, I make more money than that guy. So I don't know what you talk about. (laughs) Why didn't y'all call me? I should be on that list, right? Like I know, I know 12 other amazing women who should absolutely be on that list, you know? So I want to bring change to that. And that's why I insisted. And I had some people tell me like, I don't know if it's the best idea. Who do you want to buy this book? Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, look, this will happen or y'all ain't getting this book. Like I will burn it down. (laughs) Like, You want to fight? We could fight. (laughs) So that was my approach. (laughs) I love it. So, but getting back to your question, how did I grow up? I mean, I grew up being embarrassed for my classmates to see me because I was using food stamps and some, and like I, I grew up in a very middle class neighborhood and I was very aware that we were very much at times poor, at times lower middle class, depending on my parents' job situation at that particular moment, right? Which was very shaky <laughs> during certain seasons. And so that's what I grew up with. I grew up with. Con Edison, the electric company coming to my door and turning off our power and us not having power for two days. Uh, Like this happened multiple times a year. Right. Uh. So and I also grew up with times that were good when when they had good jobs. We had short periods of well-being. Like my parents bought a condo and that was so such a big deal when I was in second grade. And then, you know, we lost the condo. Right. (laughs) And then we were getting our lights turned off. So we've just, we had some ups and downs, but I think the majority of it was, you know, basically low income and struggling to make ends meet. And so having experienced that, my priority was, I don't want to deal with this when I'm an adult. I don't want to be in this situation and I want to make sure that I can take care of my mother. And so 
I was like, I'm going to go to law school. I'm going to do all the things. I'm going to get good grades in school. I'm going to do all the things that are required so that I don't have to experience this as an adult. So that was something that that was that was what was driving me to do all the things that I could do. And I was a very ambitious young girl (laughs) and teenager and young adult always and always. And I saw it as like, this is a journey. It's not going to happen overnight. And I'm good with that. It's just going to be slow and steady. I'm going to take the steps. What's the next move I need to make? Let's make this move. Let's get into this school. Let's get these grades. Let's get this honor status. Let's get this acceptance letter. Let's get this job, right? I I was just willing to take the long road so that I wouldn't have to struggle. My children wouldn't have to struggle. And my parents wouldn't have to struggle. So did you actually not struggle after doing all of those things after you took every step and ended up? Graduating from law school and getting that first job, did you still find that you were being controlled by your broke mindsets or your broke thoughts? (laughs) For sure. And that's such a great question. After I graduated from law school, you know, you think like, okay, I'm going to college, went to college, got good enough grades. All right, now I'm going to fight my way into law school, got into law school, negotiated with the financial aid office for (laughs) for more, (laughs) for more financial aid. I'm like, Brooklyn College is giving me more. Can you match that? (laughs) Where did I learn to become such a hustler? I have no idea. But uh, that's what I was doing. I was because I had this like, I'm going to find a way energy. And I'm like, I can't pay for that, but I will negotiate and see what I can do. (laughs) Let me parlay this one into that one. (laughs) Like, I don't know where I got these skills, but I'm grateful I have them. (laughs) So I graduated from law school, and you think, like, okay, struggle journey over, broke student life over, right? (laughs) No, not so much. Because I graduated and it was a recession. So I got a job with a a judge and was a law clerk for a judge, which was great. It was an amazing experience. It was a, a, a great judge that I got to work for. And then after 12 months, they kick you out. And also you make $41,000. That is the established state salary, right? Um, and you know, I could barely survive off of that. Like once you're, you're like, what is this health insurance coming out? What is this? (laughs) All the things you're like, first of all, you pay me 41,000. I have the nerve to take mad stuff out my check. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to need that That, back. That first realization during adulting is always, it's, it's, it's the best when you're like, who is SSDI? What is this? (laughs) What are these initials mean? Why, why are they in my check? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is it is real. When you get a job and you're so excited about it and then you get that first paycheck and you just feel that sinking feeling like this is what I got to live with. <laughs> uh-huh. It's so cute how they they quote salaries in gross terms. And and if we really were making decisions best based on net, we would probably yes. be more committed to our negotiation skills. Yes, yes we would. <laughs> yes we would. <laughs> So I worked for a judge for a year. And then after that, I was looking for a job and I had some job offers, but they all were like, law school was traumatizing for me. And I was around, you know, 98% white people in my law school. We had a small little um, black law students association, which was like, that was my squad. <laughs> like we, we rolled deep, but it was like 12 of us total. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, <laughs> We were always together, but there wasn't that much of us. If a couple people missed school or a couple people were like not doing the summer session or whatever, you were like, okay, I'm out of luck now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
So anyway, um, graduated, you know, and after going through that, I, I just felt like law school was a real, it was a, it was a real, I, I don't know what to call it. The journey was just challenging mentally uh-huh. to be with all these people who are like, my dad's a judge and my uncle's a judge and my cousin's a lawyer and my mom was a lawyer and all this stuff. And you're just like, oh, y'all don't all come from struggle the way that I do. Yeah. Okay, good to know. I'm going to keep my journey to myself. It, it does reinforce, though, I was just going to say, it does reinforce. And this is where people don't get it, right? Because what I've heard from people is, but you went to a good school. Mm-hmm. And you were able to do X, Y, and Z, but you don't understand the mental toll of constantly feeling like I do not belong. Yes. The number of times that I would call my mom bawling. Yep. Mom, I don't belong here. And she'd be <laughs> like, girl, pull it together and go to class or go yes. study more or go do what you need to do. Yes, I made it through. Yes, I had good grades, but I also knew that I didn't have anything to fall back on the way mm-hmm. that a lot of my peers did. They exactly. they had all these conversations and internships lined up and all the things. And I'm not saying that's everyone's, you know, experience, but it was overwhelmingly that. Yes. And it definitely led to early onset of imposter syndrome because For I sure. constantly questioned should I be here and then overwork myself to prove that I should be there? Yes. When oh. other people were partying and tooting it up and doing whatever the heck they were doing, I was always studying and trying to prove that I was supposed to be there. Yes, for sure. I mean, I, d- I had my whole first semester, I would cry in the bathroom on a regular basis. I had anxiety attacks because it's just like, you know, they're asking you questions and other people seem to know the answer. I'm like, how do they know? I, re- I did all the homework. How do they know the answers? And I don't, because that was not clear to me. And, you know, uh, always being questioned and always being like, oh, you must be a special unicorn as to why you're here, right? Like there, there was a lot of that. So of course, that after that journey, then I started interviewing with law firms and it was just more of the same, just in a different setting. And I was like, I can't do it. I can't, I cannot do it. So I was like, I'm just going to start my own law practice. And my mom was like, you, you going to do what now? <laughs> Can you please get a job with the paycheck? (laughs) And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to create my own job because I know that I'm not going to last five minutes in any of these places because my tolerance is now lower. Having gone through law school, having learned these skills, having read these cases and seen the history of our country up close and how these laws were made, I'm done with this nonsense. So things are going to have to be on my terms or I'm going to have to find another career because what I can do is more of this. And so I'm grateful to me that I actually chose my mental health in that moment instead Uh. of saying, I'm going to just take this salary. And that seems easy, but it's actually the hard way. And the hard of starting my own practice was actually easier and made more sense for me than to continue to stay in this, you know, to be in toxic environments is basically what I'm saying. Oh my gosh, you said so much. I knew I liked you. I knew I liked you. <laughs> so the reason that I started a business during senior year was because I couldn't imagine going to work for someone and being trapped in a space. And I'm not saying that jobs are a trap. I'm not dismissing getting a job. That's not it. But I knew for me that if I went that route, I would hurt myself or somebody. Mm-hmm. And I chose to 
start a business, much to the dismay of my family as well. They were like, I mean, you need to get a job. Like, are you applying for school? My dad wanted me to go to law school as well. Are you applying for law school? Are you going to get a job? Where have you applied? Nowhere. Mm -hmm. I I haven't done any of those things. But you said something so key for your mental well-being. And one of the things that we talk about at Redefining Wealth is the fit pillar. And the very first pillar in building wealth for us is to make sure that we're mentally and physically okay to pursue the thing that we say we want. And so many mm-hmm. of us as women and Black women in particular, I really do feel we start businesses out of that necessity to preserve yes. our sanity. We sure do. I was just digging into these stats last week about the number of w- women of color entrepreneurs that have built businesses that are opening businesses. And, and in the study itself, it talked about how necessity is why these businesses are being started at such a rapid pace and why entrepreneurship is growing so much. It's literally by necessity because we just cannot anymore. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like we're just, I feel like there's this collective consciousness that has been raised where we're just, we're just so much more aware and we just cannot do it. And we keep seeing examples now though, because the more women like you stand up and share the journey and share your story, again, when I see your face, I can see my face. I know that it's possible for me. So, So when did you get to the point of really starting to recognize that even though, you know, you started your own firm and you had you know, gotten some to some level of success that you still were being controlled by broke thoughts. Like, yes. Cause that was more comfortable, right? Because For sure. that's what you were used to. You were used to that roller coaster, seeing the ups and downs and the ins and outs as an adolescent. And sometimes we can see that and struggle with stability. We can have the means to create a stable life, but be so used to and comfortable with instability that we're like, "Mm, let me sabotage and just go give Pookie all my money. Or (laughs) I don't know who Pookie is. I don't know where that came from. But, um, you know, do things right to sabotage our own success. Did you ever find yourself in those patterns? And what's an example of that for you? What types of things would you do? Uh Uh-huh. Always. I would always take myself to the brink. It almost was like I gamified it because I would watch my mother make money moves that were like, you know, I'm a Rob Peter to pay Paul because she had to. And then, you know, <laughs> and then go back and pay back Peter. And now Paul, t- like it was just always something. Right. But she she just had these strategic chess moves that she would make. And I'd be like, my mother is so smart. My mother can make a dollar out of 15 cents. My mother is like she finds a way to make it happen, you know? Ooh, we made um, it. We make it sexy, don't we? Oh my God, do we? Oh my, I was like, ooh. And so that was that was my idea of like a hero, a heroine, right? Is somebody who is able to make something happen with nothing. I got, I got no ingredients, but somehow you're going to get this too, right? And it's going to taste good, right? And so and you're going to like it. And you're going to like it. <laughs> So that's what I would do. I would create these financial situations where I would bring myself to the brink, right? Always. Like I would spend every dollar and almost like, almost like challenging myself, like to make it back before everything went to hell. You know what I mean? And it would, it would be examples like I was in my law practice. I had a team. I had one part-time attorney, a full-time attorney, an operations assistant, 
and maybe a couple contractors who were helping us with other things. And so I had this small team and I would make like I would have just enough to make payroll and I would pay my team and then I would go get the big jar of coins, go to Coinstar, literally put it in the machine, get $75 because I, I was always putting my coins in there. My husband was always putting his coins in there and I would get that $75 and that's what would get us through the weekend until the next, per, the next client was going to pay us. That's how to the brink that I was all the time. Mm. It was, of course, taking a huge mental toll. At one point, I had like a nervous breakdown. I had to call my assistant and be like, I need you to just cancel everything for the next two weeks because I, I just can't. I just, I don't know how to function. I couldn't look at a contract. I couldn't concentrate. Like I just, I couldn't get anything done. And that was after I had had a baby, moved across the country, (laughs) running this business. Like I just pushed myself too much. You were saying that overworking to prove yourself. Well, I, I did that to the point of burnout and I literally couldn't function. So I literally laid on the couch for two weeks with my babies watching Downton Abbey. (laughs) Like (laughs) trying to get my mental state back intact. And then, you know, when I came, I I took almost a month off where, and I had a, a, a friend from law school and I asked him to just cover for me. So like the things that he, that I couldn't push off, I had him do. And I just gave him half the fees because I, it wasn't even a money thing at that point. It was just like, I, I have to do something different here. And then after that, I came out of that and was like, okay, it's time to hire more people. It's time to get more help. Like we need to do things differently. And I just started making smarter, more strategic decisions. And one of the first things that I did after that happened, I saw an advertisement from a life coach for this retreat in Italy. And I was like, I need to go to that. And mind you, I had no money for that. (laughs) I was just going to say, so what you're saying, I know a lot of people, this is where folks struggle, right? Because sometimes the steps we need to take don't always seem logical in the steps that we're in, right? Mm -hmm. And so one of the first things you said is I need to hire more people. And I know someone listening is like, well, she just barely made payroll last week. (laughs) Well, how would she come out of that and say, I need to hire more people? And sometimes what we actually need to do is the opposite. It's the opposite of what we Mm -hmm. feel like we should do. Yes. Really is the thing in, in, I love that you're saying this. Okay, so Life Coach Italy, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> so I went, I went on this trip and it was like, it was like a, the first deposit was like $1,000, right? And so I'm in the kitchen with my husband around Christmas time. Very basic Christmas. When you have little kids, you can spend like $100 and, it, and you get 17 presents because their gifts are cheap. It's like little toys, whatever. <laughs> so... Or little clothes that I caught on sale or whatever. So we had a little light Christmas and and we were, I was standing in the kitchen with my husband. He's like cooking and I'm talking to him and I'm scrolling through like on my laptop or whatever. And I see this advertisement and I was like, ooh, just getting that feeling. Like that same feeling that I got when I was like, none of these jobs are it. I'm reading these offer letters and I'm just like, this ain't it. I need to build my own thing. And just listening to that small voice. And that's exactly what I got about this trip. So I was like, babe, can I go to Italy with a bunch of women I don't know? (laughs) And he's like, okay. And so I'm like, okay. And I go and put it on my credit card before I change my mind, before I talk myself out of it. Right. Because I just, I just, I just knew that this was something that I needed. And so I signed up for it. It was like six months away. I was like, all right, I got the first payment. I'm going to figure out how to get the rest of the money. And like, 
giving myself that gift because before what I was doing was like always just making enough, always just making enough to cover the bills or always just making enough just for payroll, forgetting about myself and needing to pay myself well. Like I just made, I put myself last always. And so I was like, that's what led to burnout. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to put myself first. And that changed everything. As soon as I signed up for the trip, I hadn't even gone yet. Just the fact that I had decided that I'm a woman who is going to, on a whim, sign up for some trip to Italy. Like, who am I that goes to Italy? What? (laughs) Like, this is not a thing that my friends or my sister or my mother or anybody that I know does, right? Except this life coach. (laughs) And so I'm like, I'm going to make this decision for myself. And my husband's like, if you could find a way to do it, go ahead. I'm like, great. Let me sign up, swipe my card before he changes mine. Right. (laughs) And be like, what do you mean? You're going to leave me with these two kids and go to Italy? (laughs) (laughs) So I signed up for that. My whole energy shifted just knowing that I had that to look forward to. And then I started realizing like, oh, I need to not make just enough. (laughs) I need to make enough for me and some like some 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 padding if it goes wrong. And I also need to pay myself a salary like it just was a wake up call for me. And I started doing things differently. And then I went on that trip and it was incredible. And I just I just knew something different after that trip. Right. And it was like so much work. And it's so funny because the coach who is now a dear friend of mine was like, okay, so she was basically telling me, you got broke ass thoughts. She was like, see, you're living on this level. And she makes like, y'all can't see me, but <laughs> she's like lowering her hands, like pointing to the floor, like this is where you live in. And I need you to be living up here, like on this level. And I will never forget her saying that to me. And I was like, you're right. You are so right. I always see everything for myself as basic and broke and bare minimum and just squeaking by, right? And I was like, no. I need to live up here. <laughs> so, like, so, so Rachel, take us to up here. How does that look in a practical sense? How do we start to have these, as you call them, million dollar thoughts when yes. we have for so long, you know, been conditioned to have the broke thoughts? It's what we saw. It's what we experienced. It's what we've come to expect. How do you flip a switch and just start to have million dollar thoughts. And do you flip a switch? Did it take time for you to start to elevate your thinking to that point? Yeah, it is a gradual process. Um, but you you start somewhere and you start taking action to tell a different story. Like if you've been telling a very broke, very struggle story, tell a different story. And me signing up for that Italy trip was me telling myself a different story. I was taking action on that. And then I came back from that trip and, and, you know, I used to feel so I have videos on YouTube. Y'all could go see them today. <laughs> and I used to be like giving legal tips and I'd be whispering because I was like, clearly I didn't want to be seen or heard, but somehow <laughs> I'm doing these videos. Cause I was told that that's what I got to do to grow my business. <laughs> but I'm like, did I want people to hear my tips? Cause I am over here. Like what you have to do is you got to create an S corp. <laughs> and then you take these, like, I was just so you could tell that I had such imposter syndrome from those videos. I look at them now and I just laugh. And so I came home from that trip. And that was the first thing I did is I was like, no, I'm going to create videos every week. I'm going to force myself to do it, even if it's uncomfortable. And I'm going to put myself out there in a different way. I'm going to choose to share myself on a bigger stage and choose, choose myself in this moment. And that didn't cost me nothing. It wasn't, no financial outlay. It was just like, I needed to see myself differently. And I started doing that. And of course, as soon as you start making those kinds of moves, then it's like more clients coming in the door. Then I was like, Ooh, you know what? 
I need to raise my prices. This is why I'm struggling all the time, right? If I usually can get 10 clients a month, then I need to charge twice as much. And then, then those 10 clients will cover my costs, my team's costs, and I'll have some padding in the savings and can pay my taxes, right? So then I raise my prices. And then it just goes from there. It's like, I'm going to get my hair cut instead of looking wild and crazy all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So I invested in it. I hadn't had my hair cut professionally in like five years. <laughs> it was real sad. And I went and got a haircut and I was like, oh, I'm brand new feeling myself, <laughs> right? Then I'm like, oh, I need a new wardrobe, right? And so I just started making these different moves and telling myself a different story, telling myself like, you are worth it, right? Love you it. are worth a nice haircut. You are worth not struggling all the time. And one of the things like this is just a practical financial tip. All of that sort of led me to being like, oh, okay, you know what? There's a new there's a new floor because the floor used to be zero, right? Or the floor used to be even negative because I would overdraft my account or borrow money from my sister to make payroll. <laughs> like these were the things that I was doing. So my floor was negative 5,000, right? It was mm-hmm. the floor for me. And I changed the floor to plus 10,000. And so I did a launch. It was a successful launch. I had money in my bank account and I put $10,000 in there. I was like, if ever I go below, if I'm getting close to $10,000, I don't have no money. Mm-hmm. And that's how I would treat it. I would treat it as if I have zero, if I have 10,000. And that just sort of trained my brain to have money. Because I think you can get money in, but then it's like, if you have these broke ass thoughts, you will immediately make it all go away because you're not comfortable just having it, just having it sit there. And you have to increase your capacity to have it sit there. So that's what I would do. Even if you can only make it 500, just like decide that there's a certain amount in your bank account that will never be spent no matter what. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And then just kept building from there and, you know, and increase that capacity slowly but surely to have hundreds of thousands sitting there and not need to spend it. Right. And to the place where I am now, where I'm like, I look at buying something. And I'm like, man, I can't even be bothered to go online to do online shopping. <laughs> I'm just like, I got to go through the car and enter my credit card. I ain't got time for that. <laughs> I just can't be bothered. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I've created a lot of mental games with myself over the years Mm -hmm. around money. I remember when I was in real estate and I was paying my debt off, if I got a real estate check that was $4,992, that would be $992 above whatever my minimum payments were, I was going to put towards kind of that snowball, if you will, just getting out of it. And so when I was like really rolling in real estate, I was just sending stuff left and right and paid off my debt and paid off my mom's debt. And all those things, but it was a gain to me. And I think yes. that we have to make it that way to start reconditioning our brains. It's everyone's thing is not going to work for you or, you know, yes. cutting out your latte is... I just, first of all, really drink your damn latte. Okay. <laughs> like, can you just have your latte? <laughs> well, I wrote, I wrote all my books at Starbucks. So I, I remember mean, when I would post about my, my being at Starbucks and someone said to me, a troll, um, with nothing to do said, um, how are you supposed to be a financial educator and you're always at Starbucks? Well, let's take a look at this. Let's break this down. I spend maybe $25 a week in coffee, but I'm here in this environment focused. It gets me going. It gets me intentional. If I'm at home, I'm going to fold laundry. Exactly. Laundry can't you're be get distracted. I it's there and I'll get distracted or I'm going to wash dishes and I'm going to do everything but what I said I would do today. So this gets me focused and writing a book that creates tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yes. So 
Starbucks could get my $25 any week it wants it if it's going to help me produce these results. Yes. Cutting out a latte was not the way for me to build wealth. No, it's not. It's about investing in yourself. It's the same thing with my Italy trip, right? It's just deciding that you are worthy in investing in your dreams and believing in something that you cannot see right now, right? And believing in yourself to follow through and to do the work. And that's kind of what you're training your brain to do. And that shifts everything, you know, and just practicing those thoughts. Like I would say horrible things to myself. Every time I looked at the mirror, I would tell myself I was dumb. I would tell myself I wasn't a good enough lawyer. I didn't have enough experience, everything, everything. I didn't know what I was doing with building my business, right? I didn't know what I was doing with managing a team. I had all these horrible things that I would say to myself. And then I just started practicing saying different things. And I was just kind of like, you know what? If you was another person saying that to me, I would fight you. I would take you outside and I would literally throw punches. Like I would get physical if somebody else was talking to me like that. And I was just like, yeah, this is trash. And you know what? I could do better than this. And so I just every time that thought came up and I'd be like, "Ugh, you really you really need to lose weight. And I'd be like, actually, I'm beautiful exactly the way that I am. And I would just practice saying these things and practice you know, and, and what's funny is you start doing it and then one day and you're doing it over time. It does take yes. time to eradicate them. But then after a while, you wake up one day and you're like, wow, I really don't talk to myself like that anymore. And I haven't done it in years. You're just like, whoa, this really works. In the moment when you're starting, it feels silly and it feels pointless. But I'm telling you, it's not. I'm telling you, you can literally change your thoughts. And it's scientific, right? You're changing the neural pathways. You just have a habit of talking to yourself like trash, uh-huh. right? So create a new habit of talking to yourself in a different way. You know, telling yourself you are worthy, telling yourself you are beautiful, telling yourself you have value and there's value in the work that you're creating. And then you start taking action on those thoughts and you start creating more of that value. You know, I have to tell you that's that's been my experience as well in my journey. And I realize now one of the ways it was really one of the reasons it was really imperative that I start to talk to myself with more respect, with more grace, with more honor is because we will come across people on this journey that will that will try to reinforce those mm-hmm. former thoughts, those yes. those former patterns. And if we haven't built that strong mental muscle, then we can we can fall for the okie doke. For like, sure. Well, when a client questions us about prices or a prospective client is trying to get you to lower your prices or not charge what you're worth or do anything, you'll go back to those thoughts. You can and go, mm-hmm. right, who am I to charge? What was I thinking? Why would I put that number? Or we'll start to backpedal, right? We're uncomfortable yes. with the silence. So we'll say a number. And then if there's any hints of silence, we'll be like, but you can have my kids too. I can throw in everything. I can give you the world, right? We'll start throwing in all this stuff when really they just needed a moment to think about it and ponder. Exactly. Or they're just not a fit and that's okay too. And when we start to switch how we're talking to ourselves, then we can also recognize the red flags and how other people try to sugarcoat Mm -hmm. diminishing our value. Totally. Right. We'll be like, "Mm, you said that really nicely, but essentially what you're trying to say is, I'm not worth that or I don't right. have enough or I don't have what you need. And if I don't have what you need and we're not a fit, then we can agree to disagree. But it's not that I'm not worthy. 
of yes. what I'm saying. But we have to get clear on that first or other exactly. people will come along and reinforce the limiting beliefs that we've had. Exactly. It makes such a difference. It's just like that video, those videos that we created last summer, that came from us recognizing that we are worthy and demanding that the world do the same, right? We have to believe it within ourselves first so that we can shut it down when someone refers to us as something we are not, which is less than, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's so important. And one of the best ways that I have learned to always be reinforcing who I really am and not who my imposter syndrome thinks I I am is by my squad, surrounding myself Mm. with other ambitious and awesome people who just constantly remind me of who I am and I constantly remind them of who they are, you know? And we just have this just back and forth, this reminder. And when we try to punk out, we'll hold each other accountable to that higher vision that we really have for ourselves, you know? So I think if you could just get you a squad, <laughs> you know, <laughs> be on group chat or in on Voxer and your Facebook group or whatever you have to do, like surround yourself with other people who are making these same moves, who are committed to their own self-growth, personal development, and even wealth building, right? Mm-hmm. That's iron sharpens iron, right? So just being with each other and you just constantly be reminded. And you also, you get motivated, right? You see, you see, I'm like, oh, you out here. I see you on them stages. Let me get, let me go pitch myself. I need to get on these stages too. Let me get out here, right? Or you see somebody like launching their new thing or raising their prices. And you're like, you know what? That's me too. I'm gonna do the same, right? In the same way, if you hang out with people who have broke ass thoughts all the time, guess what's gonna happen to you? Uh-huh. You gonna have broke ass thoughts too, So you really have to be mindful of who you spend the majority of your time with. Now, I'm not saying like unfriend every person who ever has a broke ass thought. They probably need you to be their friend, right? But but maybe you're not on group chat with them every day, listening to them complain, you know? Yeah. Um, Just be mindful of what you're taking in into your brain because it really, it really matters. And it's the foundation of everything. Yeah. And it's the reason you can set your intention or you can set these million dollar goal objectives and not hit it because you're not surrounded with people who are speaking that language. Yes. So as much as you want to fight, right? But if you don't, and this is another thing I want to say about the squad, you can curate the squad you desire. The squad mm-hmm. does not have to be, oh, my friends from high school. Your friends from right. high school may not be on the same page, not have the same desires, the same dreams, goals, aspirations. And not that they have to be the same, but they have the same level of intentionality about doing more, right? You know, I hear in my groups all the time, nobody around me is, you know, into this. I'm like, well, go get around. Well, that's why you're here. Right. You're here to get around some people that are on the same page. It's not, you know, I don't know. I don't have rich cousins. You know, I don't just have, you know, like I have to go intentionally put myself in some spaces where Mm -hmm. people were going to teach me the language of money and wealth and success unapologetically without me feeling like I had to be guilty about what I was creating or, you know, that leaving people behind. I don't want it because the fear of like leaving the tribe. Yes. Is real. You know, it um, is Rachel. I could talk to you all day. I'm looking at I mean, the clock. Like too. I said, I was like, oh, I, I told Rachel before we started, I was like, I'm going to try to force myself 
to stop. And now I feel it. And I'm like, I still got questions. Okay. Let me, okay. Let me just do, do this. And then we'll get to some redefining wealth, rapid wisdom questions. You have a formula for million dollar decisions. Mm -hmm. Can you just run through the formula? We're going to get it in the book. We're all going to support and get the book and really highlight it, dog ear, underline, do all the things. But what is that million dollar decision formula for those who know they're they're ready to step into that next level and stop having those broke thoughts? Yes. So, you know, making a million dollar decisions are ones that bring you more, right? That open you up, that create abundance, that create opportunity, that make you feel amazing, right? It's not always a financial decision necessarily, but that's what a million dollar decision is. And a broke ass decision is one that takes options away that is all about getting smaller, right? And shrinking in some ways. And we don't want that. So the million dollar decision formula is the acronym is we should all be millionaires, W-S-A-B-M. And it's all about the what, digging into your desire. What do you actually want in this moment? And then there's the should, what shoulds are at play that are telling you you should do something different, you know? What action needs to be taken to like make these desires happen and being specific about what those actions are? How does it feel in your body, right? What does your body do when you imagine and envision taking this action and doing this desired thing and getting this desired result? Is your body like, this is a hell yes? Or is your body like, "Mm, I'm feeling crunchy. I'm feeling like tight and my shoulders is getting stressed. My chest is tight, right? Because that's usually a no, right? Your body will tell you so much. And that's usually the thing we ignore. Oh, totally. Because we're like, no logic. and science and like (laughs) data, right? And this person's opinion, everything is more important than what your body is telling you to do. So following your body and then the M is for more. What is going to give you more? And sort of the M is almost like a check against where have we gotten when we've looked at what do we want? You know, what are the shoulds at play? What are the action steps that we need to take? What is our body telling us? Okay, and what leads us towards more? And this is how you analyze when you have big decisions to make and you go through this process and there are specific questions in the book to ask. And that leads you to your million-dollar decisions. And it's a a process that we take our clients through. We have a session every month in my membership community where we walk through this and we walk you know, a couple of people through this process to make decisions about, should I quit my job? Should I hire this person? Should I invest this money in this way? You know, they have all of these really practical questions and you can use this process to get to that million dollar decision and get away from like, you know, making a broke ass decision because even like million dollar decisions sometimes in the moment cost you, but then they give you so much more in the end. Whereas broke ass decisions might seem like, oh, I'm gonna save so much money, but you're gonna lose a lot as well, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's so good. That is so good. I love it. Okay. Before I let you go, I'm going to ask you our Redefining Wealth rapid wisdom questions. You'll tell us the first thing that comes to mind. Oh, I can't wait. (laughs) All right. First one, how do you define success? Freedom. I love it. (laughs) How do you define wealth in three words or less? Time. Joy. 
health. Yes. I knew you were right for redefining wealth. (laughs) Um, What's one book that has helped you redefine wealth? Ooh, On Your Own Ground by, um, it's about Madam C.J. Walker. It's her bio. And it's by Alalia Bundles, her great, great, great granddaughter. granddaughter. Wow. And it's about her journey. And I'm telling you, I'm literally writing down uh, marketing strategies that Madam C.J. Walker used in the early 1900s as I'm reading this. I mean, I have pages of notes from reading that book. You know what's Um, so crazy? I when when the short series came out on Netflix, mm-hmm. I made everyone in my command the stage speaking program watch. I'm like, this is a marketing lesson, right? When mm-hmm. she's out in the marketplace trying to talk to everybody, right? And like, hey, buy my thing. Cause that's us. Yes. Hey, 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 buy my thing. And you're like, but I'm posting on social all day and nobody's listening. I keep posting. <laughs> right. Yes. And when she stopped to tell the story. And they got roped into that story, like, boom. I thought that was such a great illustration for what is absolutely happening today, even in the online space. Oh, listen, she was, she was the, one of my favorite photos is the, there's a new cover that's based on that series, but the old cover of that book, I think it's on her own ground, but the old cover of that book is her in a car with her girlfriends, with her like mink stole on stunting. And I was like, she was ready for Instagram before Instagram was a thing. Can I tell you? She used to put advertisements like that in the newspaper to advertise her stuff. She made black women feel good about themselves when they were told that they were ugly, dirty, worthless, all of these horrible things. And she made black women feel good. And she recognized that that's not only a marketing strategy, it was a value that yeah. she had. And it was a journey that she had to go through herself in taking care of herself and deciding that she was worthy and then helping other Black women do the same. And then she built the sales force of Black women and helped yeah. Black women get wealthy all over the country. I mean, she is a remarkable woman and reading her story in detail and seeing, and you're like, wait, that was just a paragraph, but let me break this down what just happened. Yeah. Right? Like, And I'm telling you, she had all the struggles and her parents were born uh, slaves, right? They were enslaved. She was the only, she was the youngest in her family and born right after emancipation. Um, So, And she was a mother at like, what was it? 14, 16, something like that. Very young. Um, And so just her story is just like, if she could become a millionaire, then there's no reason why I can't now. You know, yeah, it just reinforces for you. I think reading these stories are so important um, to remind us that, like, we are so capable. Mm, I love that. And, and when you talked about seeing her in the newspaper, I'm just imagining it's kind of like we've said throughout this episode, seeing her face allowed mm-hmm. other people to see their face. Exactly. Like, that really does matter. Oh, I love it. Okay. Last thing you're going to fill in the blank. My name is, and to me, the truth about wealth is. My name is Rachel. And the truth about wealth is that it needs to be blacker. (laughs) (laughs) And that's it, guys. This has been... Come on, Rachel. I mean, that's my truth. That's what came to mind. 
<laughs> yes, I love it. That's why it's rapid wisdom. I love it. It, it felt like when Issa Rae said, I'm voting for everybody black. Well, she said, I'm rooting for everybody black. Yes. That was it. We were all like, damn, you're right. That's you, exactly. First of all, you, all you did was put words to exactly what we was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That was one of that was one of those moments. Rachel, thank you so much for sharing your story, for sharing your time, for sharing your brilliance in this book. We should all be millionaires. I already know is going to be a, such a blessing to so many, and I really do foresee right that just as we're discussing, Madam C.J. Walker now. Years and years and years after we're gone, I really do pray that women, but in particular, little brown girls stumble upon this episode and say, well, if Rachel did it and Patrice did it, then I definitely mm-hmm. can do it. Yes. I'm so grateful to have shared this time with you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This was magical. All right. I hope that you enjoyed that episode as much as I enjoyed chatting with Rachel. I promised her that it would be like 40 minutes and I just couldn't help myself. Um, she felt like a good girlfriend from back in the day. And I hope that you enjoyed getting a sneak peek into the conversations that go on and you feel like you're on this path with us. I definitely, definitely, definitely suggest that you grab a copy of We Should All Be Millionaires. If you know that you are the person who has achieved a certain level of success, maybe, you know, you kept taking steps and you were committed to taking that long route to do the right things, get the grades, go after the titles, go after different things, and yet you still find yourself making decisions from a previous season of your life, right? You are not making decisions from who you actually are today, from what you've actually achieved because you have become so accustomed to and comfortable with old mindsets, limiting beliefs, poor behavior that just doesn't serve who you are, then I really, really think you should get a copy. I believe you should get a copy of We Should All Be Millionaires. I think between that book and Redefine Wealth for Yourself and Barbara Houston's Rewire for Wealth this year, If you just went through those books, you would start to see a shift in your mindset and your capacity to hold abundance and wealth and not just material wealth, not just financial wealth, not just a dollar in the bank account, but even how you view yourself and what's possible for you. It's a thing that just needs to keep being reinforced. And Rachel and I were joking when we got off that episode that You know, sometimes people start to listen to us so much that it becomes like womp, 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 which is why I'm always looking for folks to help reinforce these lessons. So maybe if you hear it in a different way, it'll hit a little different. So I hope that something Rachel said today hits a little different. Make sure that you find her in social media. We're going to link to the book and link to her social pages and website and all that great stuff so that you can stay connected and continue to get her no-nonsense advice on Instagram. I love it. I follow her. She's one of the accounts um, that I have told people to follow as well. And uh, you should too. So until next time, I want you to go live your life's purpose, find fulfillment, and earn more without ever chasing money. Talk to you later. Later.